0: On Personally Speaking Today, our guest is Bill O'Reilly. He's got a great new book out called Killing the Killers, all about the war on Terror." Stay with us. personally speaking I'm your host Monsignor Jemosanti and television journalist and author Bill O'Reilly joins me now for 20 years Bill O'Reilly reported and gave opinions on current events on The O'Reilly Factor on the Fox News Channel, and his show became the most viewed cable news broadcast in America. Bill hosts the O'Reilly Update, which is heard on more than 225 radio stations around the country. He's the author of 16 number one ranked non-fiction books, including the Historical Killing series, which is the best-selling nonfiction series of all time, with nearly 19 million books in print. His latest book is called Killing the Killers. The subtitle is The Secret War Against the Terrorists, which reports on America's intense global war and manhunt against the terrorist extremists who planned and executed not only the attacks on 9-11, but hundreds of others in America and around the world. He's here with us today to talk about America's secret war against terror and the values that matter the most to him. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome back to Personally Speaking, Bill O'Reilly. Bill, this wonderful new book, Killing the Killers, here's my question. I saw a survey recently of things that are of interest to America, Uh, certainly the economies up there, Ukraine, nuclear weapon possibility, uh, even the abortion issue now. Um, Why now is it really important that we not lose focus on our history with terror and terrorism?
1: Well, it's growing, Monsignor. You get uh, al-Qaeda now back in... Afghanistan uh, and ISIS back in Western Iraq. And the only reason they're reconstituting training camps up and running, recruiting is to kill infidels. And Americans are at the top of the infidel list. So most Americans have forgotten, you know, not uh, 9-11, but the actual war on terror. It's so secretive that people don't know what's going on. The news media is reported because there's no information or very little information. So we were able to get a lot of information, some of it classified, to put in Killing the Killers. And that's why this book has gotten off to such a good start. OK.
0: One of my friends in the Democratic Party in New York, when uh, we left Afghanistan, I said, I'm um, I'm um, horrified by the way we left and the people we left behind. And he said, you're right, that uh, Biden's withdrawal was was terribly done. But he said, Jim, you forget that, that Americans, when it comes to foreign policy, uh, they forget very, very quickly. Do you think we have the ability as Americans to stay focused on something like terror that's so vital?
1: Well, I don't think Americans are going to forget the debacle in Afghanistan, particularly because 18... 18- u.s. service people killed at kabul airport we end the book killing the killers on what really happened there
0: mm-hmm.
1: so the biden administration not only cut and ran and left all the weapons but they let all the terrorists about a thousand of them who were incarcerated in afghanistan out and one of those guys was the bomber in kabul airport mm-hmm. so uh, you know when people start to piece it all together uh... there is good news in the american front we are uh, a lot safer now than we were 22 years ago. But there's bad news is our politi- our politics are, are a mess right now.
0: Mm, no doubt about that. I wanna ask you too, speaking of politics and the way we debate, uh, for those of our listeners and viewers who don't know, uh, Bill is, is known for having had a, a really amazingly good civil debate a number of times with John Stewart. I mention that because I remember watching the Biden-Trump first debate and being horrified on both sides at the, the lack of civility. Um, If you were instructing both Biden and Trump on how to debate, uh, what would you recommend?
1: Well, number one, they wouldn't have done that had I been the moderator of that debate. Okay. Uh, That would have never happened because I would have stopped the debate and looked at both of them and said, hey, this is what you're going to do. This is what you agreed to do. And we're not going to continue if you talk over each other and interrupt each other when we have a lot of times for people to speak uninterrupted. Yeah. So Wallace didn't do that. He should have done it. But it's hard. I mean, I'm not sniping at Wallace, Chris Wallace. But if it were me, i saying you've known me long enough <laughs> yeah. to, that debate would not have gotten out of control if I was sitting there.
0: Yeah, and that's what they really needed. Um, going back to killing the killers, Bill, there are so many wonderful anecdotes in there, but I was struck by one particular that stayed with me. So uh, the SEALs move in to take care of uh, bin Laden, and, uh, and you say that it's not the enemy men that are the real difficulty, but the, the real fighters are the women in that compound. Tell us about that.
1: Well, bin Laden was a coward. He hid behind his wife. Um, there were uh, arms in the room, so the SEALs had no choice but to kill him and mm-hmm. his wife. Uh, But the women were the ones that fought the SEALs and fired the weaponry at the SEALs. And the men tried to run and hide and get out. So that tells you a lot about, you know, the mentality there. But they're all fanatics in that compound. They all knew what bin Laden had done. Uh, They stayed there on their own free will. They could have gotten out of there. They didn't. And, you know, a lot of people, they got what they deserved. I mean, look. Christian people don't want death and destruction heaped upon anyone. Mm -hmm. But there is a righteous violence, and and this had to be stopped. Because Bin Laden was continuing to try to foster attacks around the world from his compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. And we take you through the whole thing. I mean, evil is evil. You don't destroy it, it's going to pop up again, because that's what evil does. It doesn't just stop, as you know.
0: One of the good things Bill O'Reilly does in his book is give us reassurance that we are far better protected than we may know. You talk, Bill, for instance, about the fact that we have weapons that the American people don't know about, but that the Russians and the Chinese know we have, and
1: hopefully that will give them pause. Um, How did you find out about this? Well, in the beginning of researching Killing the Killers, I knew I would have to get people who were on the scene. So we called a number of national security advisors. Uh Everyone from David Petraeus in the Bush, uh, the younger administration, all the way up to the end of the Trump administration. They all agreed to talk to me. And I told them, I'm telling you, look, I'm not going to quote you. All right. And I'm not going to put anything in a book that's damaging to America. But American people need to know how they're being protected or not and what is being done in their name i.e. assassinations, interrogations, this and that. All of them agreed. I didn't get turned down by one. Wow. So we got a massive amount of information from people, what they call primary sources, on the scene, who are actually involved in a lot of these situations, so they could tell us. But then after that, the hard part comes, we have to confirm what they say. See, unlike every other journalistic entity that I know of right now, we don't just take, anonymous stuff and throw it out there Mm -hmm. we check it okay because i don't believe that using anonymous quotes is honest right so we check it and it took a while but it all checked out all the stuff that we put in the book if i couldn't confirm it we didn't put it in but the american people and they get dribs and drabs let me give you a good example Mm -hmm. so under the trump administration they spent in eight in four years $1.4 trillion upgrading the military in four years. An astronomical amount of federal tax dollars, right? But Americans, including me and probably you, don't know where that money went. Where'd it go? What'd you make, new submarines? They all get (laughs) new uniforms? Uh, What'd you do? Much of the money went to space weapons and surveillance, Mm. all right? Which is all classified. Mm -hmm. Doesn't get out. Nobody knows it. And there are two areas. The surveillance area, we have drones now in space that watch everybody. From Mm -hmm. three to five miles up, Monsignor, they can read the name of a golf ball on a fairway on Long Island. That's how amazing that surveillance is. And then the weapons that we have, that as you noted, Xi and China and Putin and Russia do not have yet. Mm -hmm. All right, They can obliterate anything in 30 seconds. And they're fired from drones they usually use hellfire missiles and we have soleimani of iran getting waxed by a hellfire and where do you see what happens and then i walk you through that uh almost minute by minute yeah. and he gets boom wiped off the face of the earth only thing left of soleimani was a finger with a ring on it that's how they identified him because the other seven guys with him there wasn't anything left to them <laughs> And I have a picture of that finger and ring in Killing the Killers.
0: Uh, Now, Bill, one of the things that uh, I like about the book as well, Killing the Killers, is you kind of give us an individual profile of our American presidents through this whole war on terror. I kind of know the answer, but for our listeners and viewers, uh, the least effective president, the most effective president. In the republic? No, I'm talking about in, in our country, the
1: president who fought terrorism most effectively and the terror and the the terror banner well Trump was the most effective by far because he invested the most money and for him it was personal he made the campaign I'm gonna wipe out Isis he did not entirely Mm -hmm. but really downgraded them so they had to leave Iraq go to Africa they're now back but not the way they were so Trump was really uh, the guy and he Rather than micromanage it, he didn't. He let the professionals in the NSA and the CIA do it. And he okayed it when they brought, so we need to kill al-Baghdadi, we know where he is. And then Trump said, yo, go get him. Yeah. Obama, for the first six years, was not an effective terror warrior. He pulled all the US troops out of Iraq. And mm-hmm. that led to ISIS and a horrible reign of terror that they imposed on the Middle East. But at the end, the last two years, Obama got a lot better because he was embarrassed by what ISIS did once the U.S. troops were pulled. Bush, the younger, was so caught up in the Iraq war with Saddam's forces Mm -hmm. that he almost lost sight of the bigger picture. And um, now we're with Biden. The good news about Biden is he has not dismantled, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. the Trump people in the CIA and NSA. Okay. So he has not gone in and fired them or moved them out, leaving them alone. The bad news is that Biden has no ability, cognitive ability, to understand a big picture in how you, this is an ongoing campaign that has to be coordinated. He He can't really grasp that but he does stay out of it most of the time yeah uh,
0: you know one of the things i i love about uh you saying what you said about president trump i was unaware about the trillion being spent on defense but Bill, you know and I know that uh, I wish we had a dollar for every person who has said to us, I liked a lot of his policies. I thought he was an effective president at many levels. I just can't stand the man and the things that come out of his mouth. Um, And let's be honest, I'm sure there are times when people have said that about you and probably a few have said it about me. But what do you say to the person who says, I'm not sure I could ever vote for that guy because while I love his policies, I can't stand the person?
1: Excellent question. Uh, I don't have any of these conversations because people... Are afraid to have these conversations with me because <laughs> they, <laughs> they think I might mock them or scorn them or, or whatever. But once in a while, it'll come up. And, and I say, What my opening question to the people who disparage Trump, who did a pretty good job in his four years, mm-hmm. if you care about the economy or the war on terror or stopping massive immigration at the border, if you care about any of that, Right. He did a pretty good job. Okay. But I asked them, what do you want from your country? Mm. What do you what do you want from it? And that takes it out of the personal, see? Yeah. And then they'll tell me, Well, I want A, B, C, D. And most of it is I I want the opportunity to raise my family and to to be comfortable and, and secure in life. That's what it really all comes down to. And I said, Well, look, this guy made deals that Made that very uh, possible for you. He had a one point four percent inflation rate. Yeah, that, that's what Trump had. Trump had COVID shutdown. Yeah, and so now Biden comes in. It's a ten percent, w- and Biden's blaming COVID and Trump. And yeah. I'm going. You see, this is the world we live in. Now, as far as Trump's personality is concerned, he's brash, arrogant. He exaggerates. Uh, he takes everything personally. Right. Everything. Okay. So, you either are going to overlook that and go with the guy who made the best deals in the four years for the country or you're not and vote for a guy who simply can't run the government and Joe Biden cannot he's proven that he's not gonna get any better Monsignor unless there's a miracle Unless you can get Jesus down and and (laughs) we can kind of bring him back a little, but not at this point.
0: I have some influence, but not that kind of influence. Let me ask you, Bill Barr was our guest last week, and one of his lines from the interview was, uh, Joe Biden didn't win the election, Donald Trump lost the election because of that mouth. Uh, If he goes for 2024, do you see any tempering of the mouth?
1: Yes, because the economic pain is so great in this country, Now, there could be a comeback, Mm -hmm. um, but people are suffering now. Working people, poor people suffering. It's like a tax. You're now being taxed 10% more today than you were 16 months ago because inflation has taken that out of your wallet. So people know that. And I think more people are uh, more inclined to go with a guy who had prosperity even if you don't like him mm-hmm. then not but here's the pe- thing that people understand there are there are many millions of americans that will never vote for trump no matter what right. but they will stay home they uh, will not vote for biden's not going to run again but if he did they wouldn't go and vote for biden like they did last time they wouldn't right. vote for anyone
0: yeah, I'm. I'm thinking you're right on that. Now let's let's. Uh, I want to ask some advice here for your church, your wonderful Catholic church. I, I see a parallel between you and our church, believe it or not. And I want to tell you how. Um, when I talk to all the pre-cana couples on Long Island, and I say, "Why aren't you going to church?" They have a number of reasons, but one of them is, "Well, you know, I was kind of Catholic until the scandals came along." And what they're telling me essentially is that the church has been canceled because of, of the difficulties we had. You've gone through some of that cancel culture yourself. So I'm wondering, do you have any advice for us as a church for how to get people to look again and to give us another try?
1: Okay. Um, so I go to Mass every Sunday if I can,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and I've always done that. Even when I was uh, at college in the Vietnam years, I used to be the only one in the chapel at Marist College. Nobody else with me and Father Galant, the chaplain. I go, hey, Leo, how you doing, man? Let's, let's, let's move this along, all right? We don't need an hour here. Let's try to get it done in 40. Okay, so I go to church. And the big weakness that I see about church going is that much of the sermonizing is dull. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't pertain to life as we are living at Monsignor. Yeah. All right, I got the mustard seed. See, I got that. Mm. Fell on fallow ground. Got it. <laughs> let me let me hear a little bit about abortion. Yeah. Let me hear a little hear about it, why the church condemns it the way it does. Let me hear a little bit about that. Let yeah. me hear a little bit about how my faith, my religion can advance my life and why I should convince other people to kind of give it a try. No, yeah. doesn't happen. And I've been to churches all over the world. Maybe yeah. one in thirty sermons will do, deal with people's lives, yeah. but when you're talking to people who cancel the Catholic Church because of the scandals, mm-hmm. that's an immature view. Yeah. Because the church per se is not the theology; mm-hmm. it's different. It's different. Okay, here's the theology, and I wrote "Killing Jesus." I, I think you read it. Right. I did. Yeah. Th- this is this is what the theology said. This is why people follow the most famous man who ever lived, Jesus. Because this is what he espoused. That's totally separate from the men running the church and how they screw things up. (laughs) All right? It's totally separate. It's like the United States government under a president you didn't like, Richard Nixon, Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, Joe Biden. Well, I'm going to become... A Portuguese citizen goes, I don't like <laughs> right. the president. You see? Right. right. So that's my presentation is if you believe the theology is sound, mm-hmm. then you participate in the theology by receiving the Eucharist, by doing the things that you feel uh, nurture you as a human being. Okay. These other guys, you know, they do what they do. We have to afford them some respect, and I do. But believe me, my church on Long Island, they're not big fans of mine <laughs> because they know what I think of their sermons. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I don't make a big deal out of it. I'm not yelling at them. I'm not raising my hand going, hey, can you liven it up a little? Not doing that. Yeah. But they know that I think they should be doing a much better job.
0: And uh, for our listeners and watchers, I would encourage people to look at uh, Our Lady of Lourdes in Maspeco Park, where LaSanti every week makes an application between the scripture and life in 2022. Now, Bill, speaking of the personal, um, I had the privilege of meeting your mom. You're this icon in media, and people might think you just popped into reality. But you come from, like we all do, a particular family. William and Winifred, your mom and dad, what did they do right in raising you to make you the man you are?
1: Well, there was a consistency of behavior, number one. Okay. So, the O'Reilly family came over on my mother's side, the third ship after the Mayflower. Ah. We've been here forever. Yeah. In fact, one of my ancestors founded Charlestown, Massachusetts, where Bunker Hill is. His name's on the deed. My father's side came over in the 1860s. Two twin boys, 16 years old, landed in Brooklyn. So, we have a very strong tradition, and I am 92% Irish, Mm. Celtic, which is unheard of now in America. Right,
0: right.
1: And that's both good and bad. Okay. (laughs) So, my family, my mother and father were working class people.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, and they didn't have any other pretensions. They accepted that children of the Depression. My father was a naval officer in World War II tradition tradition tradition. Yeah, all right, and I Was a rebel as a child. My sister was the good one. (laughs) I was The nuns hit me on the head one all right? right, but I did respect that tradition we went to church We uh, had picnics, we went to the ball game, we lived uh, the 1950s, 60s, quintessential traditional life. I found strength in that, Mm -hmm. and there wasn't any lying, I mean, you know, stealing, lying, using other people, unheard of, unheard of, back when I was growing up and now it's acceptable behavior and i think that has weakened the country dramatically
0: Bill, you mentioned a moment ago, we are talking to Bill O'Reilly about Killing the Killers, his latest book, a must-get for all of our viewers and listeners. You mentioned the the abortion issue a couple of moments ago, and I remember once when Justice Scalia came to Long Island, we were talking, and there was another justice who had seemingly been pro-life until he wasn't, when Casey versus Planned Parenthood happened. And I said, what happened to this guy? And Scalia said, Georgetown happened, elite society happened, he didn't want to be rejected by the people who were in power in Washington by turning abortion into something illegal. Uh, I, I mention that because now we have this leaked document uh, and a lot of pressure on those justices who seemingly want to overturn Roe versus Wade. Do you see people, because of popular opinion, uh, judges specifically, changing their vote back to enhancing or standing by Roe versus Wade?
1: Well, look, there's a tremendous amount of societal pressure because of the media's mm-hmm. uh, pro-choice posture. All right? right. Right. Particularly on younger people. So if you're in college at Harvard, where I attended, and you are pro-life, hmm. you're ostracized. Yes. And, and you are ostracized, all right? So you are put in a penal colony of thought yeah. because you may believe that life begins at conception and you don't want to execute an unborn child. Mm-hmm. So for holding that pretty benign, positive point of view, You are scorned. One of the things that gives me
0: comfort is when I go to the March for Life in Washington, overwhelmingly, it's young people who are doing that march. So maybe young people do get the unfairness of abortion. But, Bill, people may or may not know you are a dad. Do you have any insight for parents, grandparents watching a show like this on how do we share and plant good seed in our own kids?
1: Well, I talk to my kids about everything. Okay. I mean, every issue comes up. You know, I said, all right, what do you think? And I listened to them Now, because they're dopey kids, <laughs> you know, their opinions are dopey. It just goes with the dopey kid territory. But I listen and then I start to throw things out. But I make it fun. I mean, my daughter is always, oh, you're lecturing. Um, but I, I, try to make it, I try to make it fun. In fact, when I take my son uh, to mass, my daughter's in law school now. And I did this on Sunday, last Sunday. And the sermon was from an African priest, nice guy. You couldn't understand a word he said. Hmm. Not one word. All right? So I took my son out, and we discussed what the gospel was, me and him. Yeah. And how it pertained. And, I, you know, I don't mind walking out, and and I timed it perfectly. I came back, and they were saying the Apostles' Creed, and I was was okay. (laughs) But I'm not going to sit there. I don't understand the guy. And I like the guy. I know the guy. But yeah. you can't understand them, I and mean, there are no subtitles, Monsignor. So that's what we do. I engage I engage the urchins. So it's a good back and forth.
0: Bill O'Reilly our guest. His book is Killing the Killers. Bill, I'm going to wrap soon, I promise. But here's a question. Uh, very many of our guests on this program are uh, are actors and actresses, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. They travel around the world to get a job. That's not just actors and actors. I was amazed when I looked up some bio on you that we think of you as this this god of the media in the years at Fox, but you went from place to place. You tried and tried again. Were you ever given to discouragement during this? Uh, sure. adv-
1: yeah? Oh, yeah. Listen, it's a hard road from somebody from Levittown, no uncle in the yeah. business. I know I had white privilege, but I can't quite <laughs> figure out how that got me. So I... I worked my way up i i went to scranton pennsylvania i started there then i went to dallas to denver to hartford connecticut started my anchoring then lucky enough to get to new york in five years and then i just moved up moved up moved up moved up worked really hard but i always knew i wanted to be a national guy i wanted to use uh the talents that god had given me um and i was willing to to make a sacrifice to do it
0: I want to thank Bill O'Reilly for being with us, and I hope our listeners and watchers will get Killing the Killers. Um, this is, I think, Bill, right, your 11th book on the Killing series. And, yep. and like, like all of them, um, what I love about it is how imminently readable it is, and also that sense that every reader gets that, like, you are there, uh, as Bill is not just telling you what happened, but you'll walk through with the reader what's going on. It's it's great writing. It's great stories. And and as you said, it's something we need to know more about. Killing the Killers, our war on terrorism. Bill, thanks for your honesty, your directness, your an amazing man, and uh, we're praying for you all the
1: time. Thank you, Monsignor. That means a lot. We'll talk soon, I hope. Thank you. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye.
0: I want to thank you all for being with us on our program today. If you'd like to reach me or have questions or comments, please write to podcast at gmail.com. You can also get past episodes by going to YouTube, searching under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Santi and please don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast on podcast.buzzsprout.com. We're also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor General and we're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer Personally Speaking Our producer is Lisa Jandavitz Thanks so much for joining us We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking